sing and a treat it is to get to be here in a fellowship with you ladies today. And I've really been looking forward to this time with a lot of prayer and excitement. And I'm just hoping that God will use my words to encourage you all today. Um, I'm going to be sharing about how God's been growing me in light of um, a delivery experience I had with my daughter and her resulting disability since, and just how God's been faithful to just use it all in my life for good. So if it's okay with you, I thought I would just open with a quick word of prayer. God, thank you so much for the opportunity for us all just to meet freely together today and encourage one another in fellowship in your name. I ask that you would give me all the words that I need to say and not one word more or one word less and that this would just be a time that would be pleasing to you and would glorify you and that we could all walk away with a fresh desire and a hunger just to seek you more deeply through the study of your word, Lord. Thank you again, God, just for your relentless love for us and for your son and for this time you've prepared for each of us today to all be able to meet in your name. We love you and we thank you and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So first, I thought I would share a family photo. The physical condition of a newborn infant. So a score of 10 would represent the best possible condition, like a pink baby, a crying baby, a breathing baby, um, no distress in any way, and a zero means no signs of life. So it was just totally unthinkable to me in the moment to know that our baby had earlier been happy and moving inside my womb, and then when she was brought into the world, that was just when we almost lost her. So after several minutes of resuscitation attempts, someone made the decision to give liquid epinephrine down Eliana's endotracheal tube, and that was the decision that saved her life and restarted her heart. At the time, like I said, I had no idea what was going on, but I could just obviously tell things were really bad. I was exhausted from 30 hours of labor, um, just, well, of being in the hospital, and just the traumatic delivery, and my epidural had stopped working, like I said, so I experienced all the pain of having a nine-pound, nine-ounce stuck baby, but I would look up at Stephen, and I would just say, what's going on? Is she okay? Is she going to die? I can tell something's bad, and he could see everything, so he could see past my feet and see the chest compressions and the blue-gray baby, and he would just look down at me, and he would say, I love you. She did a great job. She's beautiful. She has chubby cheeks. She, you did a great job. I love you. And while that was definitely comforting, I just knew, you know, he wasn't answering my questions. I just knew that something awful was happening. So finally, I became aware that the nurses and the medical staff had loaded Eliana up in one of those incubator baby beds, and they were wheeling her away to the NICU before I'd even had a chance to see her. Um, which I'm obviously super thankful to them for doing whatever it took to keep her alive. But it was just devastating in the moment to give birth and then not be able to get a glimpse of your baby. And on the way out, the neonatologist, who is super awesome, um, he turned and had to be the one to inform us that Eliana had gone 12 minutes without breathing, and so there was a probability she wouldn't live. And if she did, it would be most likely significant brain damage that she would experience, and she would have a crippled arm for life because of the trauma associated with being stuck in the birth canal. And then the room was just empty, just like that. Everybody was out, and it was just me and Steven. And he just held my hand and just sobbed. He had been so strong during the event, and afterwards was just holding my hand and just breaking down. And I was a total zombie who was just staring at the floor and was just thinking like, wake up, wake up, wake up. What just happened? 
this is a nightmare. This can't be happening. Nine months of a normal pregnancy, nine months of baby showers. You just go in the hospital and come home with a healthy baby. That's what happens. Like I hadn't had any family member have a NICU baby, didn't really even know what NICU stood for. And then we were just, it all happened so fast and it was just very overwhelming. Um, after a few, well, a few times nurses would come in to give me my post-delivery care, but they never knew how Eliana was doing when we'd ask. And after four of the longest hours of my life of waiting with Stephen in that room, with no word on how she was doing, we finally got to meet her. We weren't allowed to touch her, but here was the first time we ever saw her. So they brought her in, and she hadn't had, you know, hadn't been washed off or anything, had just, um, the neonatologist told us at that time, you know, she's gonna seem kind of stunned, but we haven't sedated her, she's just responding to the trauma of birth. It's just, you know, she may not look at you, she's just gonna kinda sit there. Um, that was hard. I just remember feeling right then with the deepest aching I had ever experienced that all I wanted at that moment was just to take her place. And we were looking at a baby that I'd carried for nine months who now we assumed would have significant life-altering brain damage and an arm that would be paralyzed if she lived at all. So it was hard. It was the hardest thing that I've ever gone through. But um, we can go to the next slide and just say, um, just want to skip to the end of the story and say that she's alive and well. She was rushed to Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital that night in St. Louis in an ambulance, and they wanted to get her there by helicopter, but the weather wasn't cooperating. And the next week, um, after seizures and just a really bad time, she was not doing very well. After about a week, they did an MRI on her brain. They told us, don't get your hopes up. She's going to live. By this point, we know she's going to live, but it won't be without significant brain damage or some level of brain damage. Um, they did an MRI on her brain, and the neurologist was absolutely stunned to discover that she had no detectable brain damage on that MRI. So I had been posting every step of our journey to Facebook because I thought that would be the quickest way to reach everybody for prayer. And so my friends would share my status on their wall with their friends. And before we knew it, there were literally dozens of churches that we knew about praying for her. Um, and even people in other countries that I was getting private messages from, missionaries in other countries, and then just people that happen to live in other countries, where I'm like, how did you find out about this? And it was amazing. It was so amazing to experience that. Um, so while all of this was insanely fantastic and nothing short of miraculous, after that excitement died down, we realized she would still have a life-impacting disability in her arm. Her nerves in her shoulder were torn out of her spine, and it just resulted in a different kind of life than we were prepared for. So we can go to the next slide. So um, in our two years of being blessed as parents to Eliana, Stephen and I have had to surrender her into the hands of neurosurgeons um, when she was just six months old and again at 15 months old. And she's had Botox treatments on her muscles, which literally right before she was being brought back in the operating room, they had to inform us, by the way, some babies have died of Botox at this young. Uh, so that was, ugh. 
She came home with an apnea monitor around her chest in case she stopped breathing at night and all these tubes and oxygen tanks because um, she wasn't keeping up her oxygen. We'll do physical therapy with her two to five times a day every day, which includes massaging her scars from her surgeries. And she's worn leg braces due to like low muscle tone in her legs. She's had eating and choking difficulties with special testing for that. She has sensory issues with like sounds and sensations that we have to consider that I had no you know, knowledge of before all of this. We have to figure out financially how we're gonna fly to Philadelphia for her appointments with her specialists. Um, we have sessions with occupational therapy, physical therapy at least once a week. And sometimes we're driving to other cities to do that. And the list could just go on and on. And I'm not sharing that to complain or grumble in any way, because that's genuinely not my heart. That's not how I feel about it all. But just to help paint a picture of how her birth injury has affected her long term, this is an injury that never goes away. Her nerves in her shoulder area, called your brachial plexus, um, were torn completely, and those nerves affect the movement of your entire arm. So what she has is called a brachial plexus injury, or it can be referred to as herbs palsy. So while I could grumble about all we have to do or like how this affects me and my life, I don't really usually feel that way. Almost always my heart is just overflowing with joy and thankfulness for this miracle baby that God spared for us. We can go to the next slide. So there's just something cute to look at <laughs> rather than the other slide. So um, nowadays we feel like we usually have this herbs palsy arm disability thing figured out for the most part. But in the beginning, when we felt extremely emotional and overwhelmed about it all, there was just a lot of processing with the Lord that needed to take place. And I'm not going to stand before you ladies today and say, oh, I used to struggle with this, but I'm okay now. Um, because faith is a day-by-day -day way to live. I might be doing okay right now in this moment, but later today, I don't know if I'll be struggling. Because having a child with a disability, you, you experience a death of many dreams of how you were expecting your child's life to be. Even as believers, we can doubt God's goodness and need to wrestle through some difficult things. So that's what I'm going to talk about today, is when I'm at a low point, what do I do with that? How do I practically find comfort in Christ? What do I do? Do I just like pep talk myself or just memorize a verse and just say it over and over and over and over and over? Maybe it'll like seep into, you know, I don't know. <laughs> um, so what do, what do I personally do? And following Jesus doesn't mean we all become like Disney princess Christians where we look and act proper and we say, I don't have struggles anymore. I used to. Um, but <laughs> chasing really hard after Christ can include us just acknowledging to ourselves and to God that he sees the innermost parts of our hearts. So we might as well talk to him about those parts anyway. If I have doubts about God's goodness, or if I'm devastated about my circumstances today, or if I'm misunderstanding God's character, or whatever I may be struggling with, God sees those parts of my heart anyway, and he wants me to bring that to him in reverence and transparency. The Bible, or the Word of God, can handle our hardest questions and our deepest heartaches. Psalm 139, I absolutely love and it starts off by saying, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down, and you're intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all. So with God, my times of deepest growth have been through times of pain, where I go to God being honest, open, and transparent, because he knows my heart, 
And if I understand the grace that he extends to believers in love, I can boldly approach him and he'll never disappoint. So since Eliana's birth and through watching the pain she's had to endure in her life because of it, the main issue I keep bringing to God again and again is, can I trust you? Like that last picture we saw, all those you know, different heart-wrenching things. Can I trust you with this today, God? Do you have my best interest at heart? Or like, how is this going to work out? In the beginning of this herbs palsy journey, I would sometimes think things like, man, we got robbed of having a normal parenthood experience. We have to do therapy. We have to be on the phone with insurance for hours and hours and hours and specialists and all this. And she's had shock treatments and MRIs and stitches and staples and surgeries. And she's just two. And not only the struggles of that, but just of accepting that most things in life she won't get to participate in. Sports or playing an instrument or typing. Right now our goals are to get her to feed herself with two hands or to dress herself or during potty training. How is she going to pull up her own pants or zip or things like that? How is she going to take a shower as, a, as an adult and reach places? I don't know. It's just those things you never consider before, before it affects you personally. And when you see her walking by, or you'll see pictures of her that I'll post to Facebook sometimes, she just looks super adorable and pretty normal. Um, but when we're with her throughout the day, it's pretty apparent that she's incapable of doing things that other children can do. But just so you know, as a side note, we're not going to hold her back, and we're going to encourage her to find creative ways to do things, but we're just also very realistic. So we can go to the next slide. So okay. Um, does everybody have a handout that has a weird word on it, epistemologies? <laughs> okay, I'm going to introduce a word to you all today called epistemology. So the first thing I want you to do is learn how to say it. So, And it's okay if you leave this time and you never remember how to say it. Just if you kind of remember the concept, that's what we're going for. Uh, so, okay, now, everybody to turn to their neighbor or the friendliest person at the table, you know, whatever you're comfortable with. <laughs> and so, I want you to say a pistol. Say a pistol. Okay, now I want you to say it and leave off the L part, so it's going to sound like a pista. Okay. A pista. All right, and then the next part, you're just going to add mology. So you're going to say epistemology. Yay, you guys are all pros. That's great. So now you can go home. You can tell your husband and your kids you learned all about epistemologies. And they're going to say, what are you talking about? So, yeah, we can put up the last little thing there. What is it? Um, it is something that helps you determine what is truth. It's how we determine what is reality. So this information that I'm going to use is borrowed with permission from one of our teachers at New Tribes Bible Institute. And I found it to be super helpful as I process through the grief and the trauma surrounding Eliana's birth. Um, so let's see here. Epistemologies deal with the way we think and process information and determine what is real and what isn't. So this is going to be one of those things that just kind of makes more sense once we dive into it. So we'll go ahead and just dive right into it. So we can go to, there we go, a list of epistemologies. So this is on your handout too. A biblical epistemology. The first one, this is the one that is 100% absolutely always true and reliable, and it is the only one that is. This means that no matter what the Word of God says, regardless of how I feel about it or whether or not it even makes sense to me, I will believe it. This is the Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so epistemology. So how do I know Jesus loves me? Because the Bible tells me so. 
So, um, and that doesn't mean that it's like a shallow epistemology. It just means it's, it's simple. It's childlike faith. It's taking the word of God at face value. So it's important for us to know what we're using to decide what is real or what is truth to us because each of the rest of these epistemologies we're going to talk about, if they stand independent from the word of God or if they contradict the word of God, they are in error. So if I'm thinking, can I trust God today? I can go to the word of God and see how it teaches us about his trustworthiness through scripture. And then I can tell myself, yes, I can trust God today because the Bible says that I can. So now we can go to the second one. This one is mysticism, or I think your handout says um, a big word. Let me see, existentialism. It means I'm determining what is truth or what is real because I experienced it. So this one can get us into a little bit of trouble sometimes. So for instance, I've got an example here. Let's say you have a friend named Anna. Just randomly, I hope there's like no, hope there's not like an Anna, like why me? Um, But a friend named Anna. And she comes to you and she says, listen, I had a dream last night. It's, it's just going to change my life. So listen to this dream. Jesus came to me in this dream. And he said, like, Jesus knows all the struggles and fights I've been having with my husband. Jesus said, I can divorce my husband and leave him and the kids and move to another state and further my education to do all these things I wanted to do. And since it was Jesus, I'm going to believe it. Like, that's what I'm going to do. So I wanted to come because you're my best girlfriend. I know that you'll get me. So that's what I'm going to do. So what you are able to see now is that she's basing her decision off of mysticism and not the word of God. And you could tell her, hey, Anna, I totally believe that you dreamed that. But Jesus actually taught in the written word of God that that's not a valid reason for divorce. So we can confidently say that wasn't the real Jesus in your dream, no matter how real it might have seemed. Or even if he came to you in your dream and said, I am Jesus. Um, yeah, that was just a crazy dream. I have those too. Not quite like that, but. Um, <laughs> so if I experience something that seems real, but if that experience disagrees with the word of God, we just have to stop and reinterpret our experiences. So the third one is empiricism. And that one says, I know it's true because one or more of my five senses validated it. So this is what I call Missouri's um, show me state epistemology. <laughs> this is, if you only believe things you've seen with your own eyes or validated personally with any number of your senses, this might be your epistemology. This could look like a person saying, well, I won't believe in God until he shows himself to me right now. Well, the word of God doesn't promise that he will show up in this room right now today, so we can't really demand that. But the Bible does say in John 20, 29, blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. The fourth one we'll talk about is subjectivism, which says, if it feels good, do it. I know it is true because it feels good. Or follow your heart. And to be honest, this is the one that I can catch myself falling into. Following your heart is not necessarily a bad thing, as long as your heart lines up with God's word. So I'll go ahead and use marriage again as an example. What if you heard that one of your friend's husbands sat her down, his wife, and said, I have been cheating on you and I'm leaving you for the other woman. I think this is okay to do because it makes me happy, and I've been miserable. We've had all these years of arguments, and I'm just ready to be happy. I think God would want me to be happy. So you could say, all right, slow down there. There's a lot God's word has to say about faithfulness and fidelity, and there's no guessing about it, no matter how convincing or sincere 
that person may be, you can know that that man is in sin because it's, his actions are disagreeing or contradicting the word of God, something explicitly taught in the word of God. And while our feelings aren't bad things, we just don't want to use feelings as the basis for our decisions if they contradict the Bible if we're going to have truly a biblical epistemology. And so, for instance, like we want our kids to be happy, and our kids want to be happy, but we have to slow down and make wise decisions for them. Not all the time what they want is what is right. And the Bible teaches us God's will for our lives. So the fifth one is pragmatism, which says, I know it is true or okay because the end justifies the means. Um, or... Just whatever works. This could be somebody saying, I think it was okay to do that because it worked out well and never got caught. Or, yeah, just shrugging your shoulders and say, you know, that worked out, so that must be okay. Maybe I'll try that again next time. And I think I was a bit of a pragmatist in the beginning of our marriage. I wasn't very respectful to my husband if we were having an argument, but my mindset, if I was really honest, would be, I know I shouldn't have raised my voice or whatever I did, but it finally got his attention. So, um, God's word has a lot to say to encourage us to be loving and respectful towards others, especially our husbands. And that's just one example. I'm hoping as I'm going through these, you can kind of think of a few scenarios of your own too. So the sixth one is agnosticism. And this just says you can never really know anything for sure. But God explicitly says the opposite in the Bible, which is his written word revealed to us. 1 John 5.13 is one verse that says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. There's lots of verses where God says, I want you to know that you know that you know this. So there are truths that we can go ahead and bank our trust on. And the seventh one is rationalism, which says, I know it's true because it conforms to the laws of science. If we're going to truly believe the word of God is the foundation of our lives, then if science disagrees with the Bible, I'm going to have to choose the Bible. One example of this is how, you know, forever ago, science used to teach that the world was flat. But Isaiah 40:22 says that God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. That's pretty awesome, I think. And I love science, and I think science can help us see the awesomeness of God. There's nothing cooler than seeing, like, one of those Hubble telescope-type pictures where you're seeing all those galaxies and stars and all those things, and then maybe a microscopic image too, just showing the complexities of a human cell and just sitting back and saying, wow, God, you are amazing. So I'm a big fan of science, but if a scientist starts to say something that disagrees with God's word, I have to humbly sit back and say, I'm not saying I have the answers, but I'm saying if science says one thing and the Bible says another, like the world being flat versus being a sphere or whatever, I can confidently rely on God's word. And one personal example of this is with Eliana's birth. I have a special friend who is a Christian, and she said when she heard about Eliana's birth shortly after it happened, she struggled at first with praying with faith about it because science says if you go 12 minutes without oxygen to your brain, your organs start to swell and your brain starts to basically shut down. But she could remind herself of the truths of God's word and that the Lord loves our prayers and he's a powerful healer. And so she just prayed for Eliana, knowing God didn't have to heal her, but that if he wanted to, he was able to. The seventh and the last one we'll talk about, wait, no, the eighth, sorry. The last one we'll talk about is postmodern, 
postmodernism, postmodern epistemology. So this says that truth is based on social context, which means your beliefs can be true for you and my beliefs can be true for me. Or it can even include the mindset of there is no truth. Such as saying like different religions believe in different gods and that's okay because we're all kind of right. Well, as Christians, we have to believe in something called the exclusivity of Christ. And that's just a big term that means we believe Jesus when he says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And if we keep the Bible as our ultimate epistemology, then that doesn't mean we can't ask questions and try to find answers, but that does mean at the end of the day, if we still can't rationally or pragmatically or subjectively make sense of it all, we can rest in the sure word of God and believe what he has said about himself and about mankind and about the world. And I just want to add another one, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, that's not up there. Um, I don't even know what this would be called. This is like the Candace made up epistemology. Um, this is one that I've fallen into before, and that's believing something is truth because of a convincing argument or a convincing person or even an upbringing. So maybe a religious entity taught you something that isn't biblical. Or maybe you have a brilliant, intelligent friend who casts doubts in your mind of unbiblical ideas. But whatever it is, let's just be women who are familiar with God's word enough to know what is truth and what isn't. For a couple summers, I worked with a campus ministry in Orlando, Florida at amusement parks. And when I worked at Islands of Adventure, I worked retail, and they taught us that the best way to identify a counterfeit bill isn't to study all the different counterfeit bills, um, but it's just to familiarize yourself with a true dollar bill. And the same goes for God's word. If you find yourself wanting to believe things that aren't true or that might sound suspicious, just be encouraged to use that as an incentive to dive deeper into studying the Bible or ask your mentor mom or somebody here about those things you've been hearing just to see if it lines up with what God's word says. So we can go to the next slide. What do epistemologies have to do with trusting God? A whole lot. When I'm super emotional about something, I'll tend to think about things, and personally, I can tend to become very subjective if I'm not consistently feeding myself by reading the truth in God's word. I could think, can God be good if he allowed this? Or does God really love me? Is she like this still because I didn't have enough faith or something? Like, why is this happening? So when I need to deal with all my raging emotions and my broken heart, or when I need to ask, can I trust you today, Lord? Usually I'll say, God, here are the feelings that I've had. Here's what I'm struggling with. Let's see what your word has to say about it. So I'm going to share with you, basically, it's going to look messy, but this is like what any number of pages from one of my journals looks like. So we can throw up the first one. Uh, guilt. So with Eliana's birth, I've had feelings, especially more in the beginning, like I failed. My body failed. I could not deliver. Who can't, who gets a baby stuck? Like, I'm just made wrong or something? Like, this is all my fault. And the next is regret. Did I do something wrong in my maternity care for my body or something? Like, did I, did I do something wrong? I just don't understand. Bitterness. Why did this have to happen to me? What did I do? I don't understand. This is bogus. Shame. Again, just like guilt. Just like, I, I feel like I can't even hold my head up high around other moms. Like, why, why did this have to happen? Overwhelmed. Man, I am a physical therapist now. Like, I, I knew nothing about anatomy or anything. But, and then you're thrown into this world 
where also just being overwhelmed with being on the phone for hours and hours with insurance and all those things. Brokenhearted, just the brokenheartedness that can come with having an unexpected traumatic experience in your life. Worried, is she going to get married? Will that hold her back or something? What if, what if we're out like on the mission field and somebody comes up and they're like bad guy and they say stick him up and she like can't stick him up all the way like I don't understand <laughs> you can just sit I don't know maybe I'm just crazy but I can get really wrapped up in worries and the last one just somehow not good enough so I just kind of put it all out there in my journal Lord this is what I'm feeling and then I go through and I mark them out and I replace it with scripture the first one I have is Romans 8.1. This is not like the only scripture for this feeling, but these are just some verses I go to. When I feel guilty, I go to Romans 8.1, which says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Regret. Um, Philippians 3.13 includes the passage, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching toward what lies ahead. God doesn't want us identified by pains that we've had in our lives. We're identified in Christ. Um, bitterness. Hebrews 12:15 see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled. God doesn't want me to be bitter. He wants me to give place um, to vengeance if I'm feeling angry or is somebody to blame for this just you know those feelings are not godly feelings. Shame Hebrews 4:16 God says therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. I can approach God's throne boldly. I don't have to, I failed, Lord. Like, when he sees me, he sees the righteousness of Christ, and he is my Father, my Heavenly Father. And he just wants to scoop you up and just love you, especially in times of, of hurt. That's not a time to, you know, dodge the Lord. Overwhelmed. When I say to the Lord, God, I am not sufficient for this task. I cannot do this. I can see where God says in this verse, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient for you. Um, Philippians 4.16 is the one I have for being worried. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Just talk to the Lord about it with a thankful heart. Brokenheartedness is Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And somehow just not good enough. There are so many verses. I just put Ephesians 1, verses 7, 10, and 13. just says that we're in him. We're in Christ. When God sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. So there's no way that I'm not good enough. You know, I can approach God's throne boldly. So I just kind of wanted to close on the next slide. Um, just with saying... For me, Eliana's ongoing disability can still be a struggle at times. The times grow much less frequent and much less intense as time goes on, but I'm still continuing to learn to take my wounded heart to God and leave all that junk and that baggage behind. Christ has something to say for any heartache we may be experiencing in our lives. And so often I find the key to breakthrough is praise, that I need to praise him right now in the midst of a storm, and I don't need to wait to find circumstantial reasons to be thankful or to praise God. When I doubt God's trustworthiness or his character, I usually find it's because I'm neglecting his word and kind of getting wrapped up in my own thoughts and my own emotions. And trusting in God and his written word is something that we must choose to do and not wait until I feel like doing it, especially in the face of suffering.
So I've come to accept that whether or not I've come to a place where I feel healed or over something, um, feeling better is not more important than being faithful to God. But the good news is that Jesus does promise to heal the brokenhearted, so I know I can bring the broken pieces of my heart to him, and it's as though he'll unclench my tight little fists and look me in the eyes and say in so many ways through his word, you don't have to be strong, just rest in me. I'm everything you need. I love you. I will never forsake you. I'll never leave you. And I work all things together for good. And I've learned not to just seek to be free of things that God may be wanting to work together for good in my life. I remember finally telling the Lord in the NICU, sitting next to Eliana's bed after her second seizure episode as a one-day-old baby, that although I wanted her desperately to be healed, I told God I didn't want him to take away my pain, more than I wanted to know him more deeply in the midst of it. So what God has been teaching me is to be honest about my neediness, to take it to him in humility and honesty, and just to be vulnerable with him and trust him with the broken pieces of my heart bravely. So I want to encourage you all to just continue doing, isn't that such a silly picture, Um, to continue doing what you're doing, whether you're here this morning to dive deeper into your relationship with God, or maybe you're just investigating what it means to be a Christian, I just want to say it's awesome to see you guys here. This is a great place to learn more about who God is and how you can know him personally, and I know there are other women here who love you. So, and to end with, I thought I would just end with a little giveaway. So if everybody could look under their chairs, there's a little pink heart under somebody's seat, and I have a gift for you. So you can look and see who you are. Yay! Hooray! So, okay. <laughs> Congratulations! So I just wanted to share a copy of one of Stephen's and my favorite children's books. It's written by John Cross, who has served with New Tribes Mission. This book comes with a CD, and it clearly, yeah, you can come on up. It clearly explains uh, the gospel, I think, and the, um, just the main message of the Bible. There you go. And, oh, yay! <laughs> in 10 short lessons, and it has discussion questions for your kids. So I hope you enjoy it. And I have prayer cards for each of you at the table. You can put it on your fridge. You can put it in your car. You can start a fire with it. You can do whatever you want with it. Um, but we are beginning our final semester at New Tribes Bible Institute next week. And after we graduate in May, our goal is, Lord willing, to continue on with them in the fall. My husband and I are just two normal people who are passionate about people in the world who have no access to the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're getting trained to go out and give them the gospel and live among them and stay long-term for life if necessary, Um, just to do Bible translation and basic medical care and things like that, just to help people come to know the Lord. So if you'd like one of our prayer cards, feel free to take them. I think we've got some extra, too, so just take them all. And thanks for having me, and I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. That was very encouraging. Thank you, Candace.